Hello, and welcome to the Virginia banks of the Potomac River. You should be standing near a narrow footbridge, a couple of feet in front of a sign that reads, Welcome to Theodore Roosevelt Island. Looking across the water, you can see the island now. Roosevelt himself never spent any time on this piece of land. Nevertheless, it serves as a memorial to the man because Roosevelt's name became synonymous with the park system and conservation. However, Teddy was also a legendary huntsman who tracked and killed beasts from across the globe. So how is it that such a famous hunter could also be known as the conservationist president? Well, I'll explain that contradiction and a lot of other things about Teddy as we take this walk today. So let's begin. Turn to face the welcome sign. To your right is a concrete path. Step onto it and let's start walking. Follow this path across the bridge. As Teddy would say, keep your eyes on the stars and your feet on the ground. My name is Joe Wiegand. People know me as a Teddy Roosevelt impersonator, though I believe what I do goes beyond just an impression. When I portray Teddy, I do it to honor him. Sure, at times I wear an old suit and speak in a funny voice, but I've also researched the man extensively. I've hiked the forests that Teddy hiked. I've climbed the mountains that Teddy climbed. I've tried to understand his motives and complexities, and I want to share some of those with you today. Keep walking down the bridge across the Potomac River. Teddy Roosevelt was the 26th president of the United States. He was a snappy speaker, known for doling out mottos like, it is hard to fail, but it is worse to have never tried to succeed. Throughout his life, Teddy worked tirelessly to preserve America's natural resources, and this park honors those efforts. It offers the city's residents an opportunity to connect with the outdoors, and it gives the indigenous animals a place of their own. This island is home to gray squirrels, cottontail rabbits, white-tailed deer, raccoons, and opossums. However, there's one more critter you might spot if you're lucky, and your best chances are right here. Okay, let's stop and look over the railing on your right-hand side. Scan the banks of the island and see if you can spot any beavers. They're hard to find and are nocturnal, but if you look carefully from up here, you might be able to see one of their homes, which are called lodges. Look down at your phone to see a picture of one. To you and to me, they look like a pile of sticks in the middle of the water, but underneath that pile of sticks is a hollowed-out den with hardened mud walls. Back in the 1800s, the North American beaver was hunted to near extinction. But thanks to conservation efforts pioneered by men like Roosevelt, the populations are thriving once again. Now, while you're looking for beavers, you'll also want to keep an eye out for fish and turtles. Pause me if you need more time. When you're done looking for river life, continue along the bridge and onto the island. As we enter onto the island, follow the trail as it bends to the right and keep your eyes moving. If you just stare at the dirt path, you'll miss out. 
Look in the trees for the birds that come here to eat the fruit like the wild grapes. Some joggers might run past us, but I promise the best way to experience this walk is slowly. Be ready to use your in-app detour camera. Remember, I'll always wait for you, but the animals here might not. Stay to the right of marker two and walk down the smaller trail closer to the water. As you're looking for animals, keep an eye out for the rare black squirrel. They are the same genus and species as gray squirrels, but a genetic abnormality has changed the color of their fur. The black fur squirrels were first discovered in Canada. During Teddy's presidency, they were introduced here by the Smithsonian Institute. Many people think it was to replenish the dwindling squirrel population. Originally, there were only 12 of them. Now they number in the thousands. All right, stop for a minute and look at this tree on your right. The one with the bark that looks like thick veins or braids. Go ahead and walk up and touch it. But look out for the thorns. This is an Osage tree, and it's a very unique type of plant. The wood is extremely hard. It's named after the Native Americans that used it for their hunting bows. But the fruit is the most unusual thing about this tree. Look up, and you might see some growing on the branches. Or look down, and the fruit may be rotting on the ground. The Osage fruit is the size of an orange and looks like a shriveled green brain. They're not edible, so don't even think of trying it, but it's certainly worth a photo. Okay, continue along the path, and I'll tell you about the first time I came here. The first time I visited this park, I was hired to speak as Teddy Roosevelt on President's Day. I showed up at early morning in full costume, looking like I was right out of a history book. The fog was so thick on the bridge that I couldn't see more than a few feet. So when I crossed the bridge, I was surprised to see a park ranger suddenly standing right in front of me, and he more stunned than I. His jaw hit the dirt. Here he is in near darkness, drinking his coffee, and suddenly the ghost of Teddy Roosevelt appears haunting his own island. I was worried I'd given him a heart attack. I told him I was with the event, and we shared a good laugh. After that, he took me down the trail that we're walking right now. I think Teddy would have loved every moment of that walk. What I think Teddy would have appreciated most about it was the ranger. You see, Teddy knew the animals and the trees weren't able to defend themselves from poachers and developers. He believed it was the government's role to protect the country's natural resources and to use force if needed. And it's because of Teddy that park rangers exist today. Okay. Stop ahead at the large pile of brush on your right. Fallen branches have been placed here by the park rangers. It may look like a stack of dead trees to us, but to the animals, it's a high-rise apartment. At every layer of debris, another creature makes its residence. Rabbits on the bottom, squirrels in the middle, nesting birds on the top. Go ahead and get up close to look inside it, but please don't disturb the animals. Creating habitat is one of the ways park rangers here keep the animal populations thriving. All right, let's keep walking the path in the direction we were going. It's easy to take the current park system in the United States for granted. But in 1850, the mere idea of conserving the environment seemed pointless to most Americans. 
You see, Roosevelt lived at a time when people were just beginning to think about man's role in the natural world. He was born in 1858, one year before Charles Darwin published On the Origin of Species. That book outlined the theory of evolution and had an immediate impact on mankind. For the first time, people were interested in how animals behaved, not just how they tasted. Keep walking, and I'll tell you about the moment Teddy first became interested in biology. At age eight, Teddy came across a dead seal at a marketplace and became infatuated with the creature. He convinced the fellow selling the seal to let him weigh and measure the animal. Then young Teddy came back and purchased the seal's skull. Thus began Teddy's own natural history collection. Sounds strange, but Teddy's father happened to be a founding member of the American Museum of Natural History. And on Teddy's 13th birthday, the senior Roosevelt bought Teddy a rifle and taxidermy lessons. This began Teddy's lifelong obsession with trophy hunting, a hobby that was not as controversial as it is today. Let's keep walking, and I'll tell you a little more about Teddy's early life. Teddy grew up in Manhattan and graduated from Harvard. At age 23, he published his first book, The Naval War of 1812, and then entered politics. But at 25, his life took a very abrupt turn. His wife and mother died on the same day of two different diseases, his wife of Bright's disease and his mother of typhoid fever. The loss understandably shook Teddy to the core. His response was to quit politics and retreat to the western frontier. There he buried himself in the things he truly loved, hunting and ranching. Let's stop and take a quick detour. Up ahead on the right, you should see a log laying next to the path. This fallen oak tree makes a perfect walkway out over the bog. Go ahead, climb onto it, and walk down as far as you feel comfortable. Or just stay here and look out towards the water. Paths are nice, but sometimes you have to blaze your own trail, and this is a great place to do it without getting your feet muddy. Take a moment to look around and really listen to the sounds of the forest. I love places like this because it gives me a moment to get away from the buzz of the city. For Roosevelt, I think it helped him cope with the people he had lost. As Teddy once wrote, There are no words that can tell the hidden spirit of the wilderness, that can reveal its mystery, its melancholy, and its charm. This is a great spot to snap a picture. Go ahead and use Detour's camera feature to take a photo or selfie and post it to your social media. I'll wait for you. Pause me if you'd like a little more time. When you're ready, turn around and carefully walk back to the trail. When you hop off the log, turn right and keep going the direction we were headed. As you've been walking, you've probably noticed these thick vines hanging around you. These are wild grapes, and they're one of the biggest attractions for the birds that migrate through this island. Keep walking. We're going to change paths in just a moment. 
Now, on your left is a wider path called the Woods Trail. Climb up the two steps and join it. Continue in the same direction we've been heading, and I'll tell you why I became interested in Roosevelt. I first read about Teddy moving to North Dakota after my own mother passed away. I think seeing how Teddy dealt with it was something that really drew me to him, and the more I learned, the more I felt connected. I remember reading about Teddy's asthma. Like Teddy, I grew up with severe bronchial problems, and like Teddy, there were times I just could not catch my breath. Some of his earliest memories were hearing his doctors talk about how he might not survive his asthma. I couldn't help but see myself in these stories. Let's continue walking and keep your eyes peeled for deer. While living in North Dakota, Roosevelt wrote his second book, Hunting Trips of a Ranchman. The book was fairly well received, but Roosevelt was furious about a review of it in Forest and Stream magazine. The article was actually complimentary of Roosevelt's book, but Teddy was fixated on what the magazine called inaccuracies. Roosevelt arranged for a meeting with the editor, a famous naturalist named George Bird Grinnell. He planned to educate Grinnell on these perceived inaccuracies, but instead they ended up becoming friends. The two of them talked endlessly about the American West, and it was Grinnell who alerted Teddy to rampant poaching and illegal development in Yellowstone Park. Okay, let's step to the right side of the trail and stop. Look into the thicket of trees on your left. Now imagine them all gone, because at one time they were. In 1796, all the trees you see here were clear-cut for a large mansion. I'll tell you more about that house later. You see, industrial America was tearing down everything in its path, erasing the forests and poisoning the watersheds. In 1887, George Grinnell told Roosevelt about the Yellowstone Improvement Company a group with ties to Northern Pacific Railroad. The company had been contracted to build hotels within Yellowstone Park, and now they were also hunting animals, cutting trees, and redirecting rivers. The world's first national park was at risk of being its last. It was the threat of someone harming nature, the thing he loved most in life, that brought Teddy back into politics. Okay, let's keep walking in the direction we were going. Up ahead, we're going to change trails again. That's the restroom up ahead on your left. Pause me if you need to use it. Otherwise, we're going to keep moving. Once you're past the restroom, take the path on the left and head up the hill. Roosevelt and Grinnell formed the Boone and Crockett Club and successfully lobbied to save America's forests and Yellowstone National Park. They shut down the Improvement Company, and in 1894, Congress passed the Yellowstone Protection Act, deploying armed law enforcement into the park to stave off poachers. For the first time in American history, the environment was going to be protected by force. Okay. Keep to the right 
and walk past the poison ivy sign up ahead. Don't worry, uh, the rangers keep the poison ivy off the trail, so you'll be fine. We're heading towards that second sign up ahead. Remember how I told you this land was once all cut down? Well, before this place became known as Theodore Roosevelt Island, it was called Mason's Island. Stop when you get to the sign that says, The Mason Estate, and take a good look at the picture. One of America's founding fathers, George Mason, once owned this entire chunk of land. If your American history is rusty, he was the author of the Bill of Rights, the one that confirms the freedom of speech, the freedom of press, and the freedom of religion. George Mason never lived here, but his son did, and he built a mansion in 1796 right in front of where you're standing. Just think about it. Nothing that you see growing here today existed back then, and nothing of the old Mason plantation exists today. Well, actually, there is one thing, but it's further up the path. I'll show it to you in a little bit. Let's turn back the way we just came and start walking, and I'll explain what happened to the mansion a little later on. Stay to the right to continue on this path, and I'll tell you about Roosevelt's return to politics. The early success of the Boone and Crockett Club encouraged Theodore Roosevelt, and his political career grew. He would go on to hold many offices, he became the president of the New York Board of Police Commissioners and then the assistant secretary of the Navy. He rose to national prominence during the Spanish-American War and was elected governor of New York in 1898. But he never forgot about the importance of conservation, even when he was living in the cities. Keep heading down the trail. As New York's governor, Roosevelt championed environmental issues and made enemies with some of the most powerful businessmen in America. They saw Teddy as a danger to American industry and wanted someone to get rid of him. And that someone was one of the most notorious politicians of the time, a New York senator, railway man, and bitter enemy of Roosevelt, Thomas Collier Platt. Let's keep walking in this direction. Roosevelt and Platt were both Republicans from New York, but neither could stand the other. Platt knew he didn't have the power to control Roosevelt, so he thought of another, more creative way to remove him from office. In 1900, Thomas Collier Platt saw to it that the Republican convention nominated Teddy for the vice presidency as William McKinley's running mate. Platt believed that as the vice president, Teddy would be just another powerless bureaucrat. When McKinley won re-election, Roosevelt moved to Washington, and his enemies seized back the power in New York. I think Teddy knew Platt's plan, but his ego made it impossible to turn down the title of vice president. Of course, no one predicted what would happen next. Up ahead, I'll tell you about one of the biggest twists in American politics. But first, let's stop and look at the sign on your right. Remember how I said there was still one thing from the Mason family? Well, there's a handful of bricks still around. Unfortunately, you can't see them from where you are. So if you want to find your inner Teddy Roosevelt and go on a hunt of your own, now is your chance. 
I should warn you, there are briars that can be quite sharp, and keep a lookout for poison ivy. I'll put a picture of it on your phone so you can remember what it looks like. If you see any, don't touch it. If you're not willing to leave the trail, you can stay put for the moment. Otherwise, let's get hunting. We're looking for old red bricks. To the left of the sign, you should see a worn footpath leading away from the trail. Follow it and cross over the fallen log in front of you. The foundation of the mason house is buried underneath you, so you shouldn't have to wander far. But the bricks can be hard to see. They get moved around and age has weathered them so that they blend into the environment. See if you can find them. By now, you're probably wondering why the Mason family ever left here. Well, in 1805, the city embarked on an engineering mistake that would devastate this area. A causeway was constructed to divert the flow of the Potomac River, but it stagnated the water around the island. Mosquitoes and disease flourished, and the Mason family eventually fled the island. Years later, in 1877, floods wiped out the causeway. Back in the 1800s, Americans thought they could bend the earth to their will, that they could cut down a forest, dam a river, and there would be no consequences. Teddy Roosevelt once said, We are prone to speak of the resources of this country as inexhaustible. This is not so. In 1935, the mansion was removed, the land was gifted to the public, and with the help of park rangers, this island was returned to its natural state. Have you been able to find the bricks? Pause me if you want more time. Otherwise, we're going to continue on the trail. Be careful not to step on any poison ivy. Let's walk carefully back to the path where we entered. Pause me now and hit play when you're back on the path. Are you back on the trail? Great. Let's continue in the direction we were headed. Now, let's get back to that big twist in Teddy's political fate. In 1901, Roosevelt was vice president to William McKinley. While in office, Teddy spent much of his time in the great outdoors. When he learned the elk herds in Yellowstone were on decline, he traveled out there to reduce the mountain lion population. He believed eliminating the predators would bring back the elk. He and his men killed 14 mountain lions that trip. Harkening back to his childhood, Teddy dissected the animal's stomach to study their diet. He was surprised to find no evidence that the mountain lions had been eating elk. Later, they theorized that overgrazing, not mountain lions, was responsible for the elk decline, something no one had considered. While it's true that Teddy enjoyed the hunt, he equally respected the animals, and when the mountain lion populations shrank, Teddy was the one who spearheaded the creature's protection. Another path is going to join. Ignore it and just keep walking straight ahead. On September 6, 1901, President William McKinley was shaking hands with the public in Buffalo, New York, 
when an anarchist named Leon Scholgold rushed forward and shot him twice in the stomach. McKinley died at 2.15 a.m. on September 14th. Roosevelt had been the vice president for just a little more than six months before taking the oath of office as the youngest president in American history. It was a moment no one saw coming, especially Senator Platt. Let's keep walking. As president, Roosevelt became a near-unstoppable force. He dismantled Platt's entire political machine. Oil barons, railroad tycoons, corrupt bureaucracies, Roosevelt went after every piece of legislation that threatened the American wilderness, and he did it by winning over public opinion. In 1913, Roosevelt would write, It is also vandalism, wantonly to destroy or to permit the destruction of what is beautiful in nature, whether it be a cliff, a forest, or a species of mammal or bird. Here in the United States, we turn our rivers and streams into sewers and dumping grounds. We pollute the air, we destroy forests, and exterminate fishes, birds, and mammals not to speak of vulgarizing, charming landscapes with hideous advertisements. But at last, it looks as if our people were awakening. Keep walking, and I'll tell you a little bit about my life as Theodore Roosevelt. I've been performing as Teddy for over 15 years. It became a hobby after retiring from my own career in Illinois state politics. Then it slowly became a full-time job. Now I consider keeping Roosevelt's spirit alive as more than a job. It's a duty and an honor. It's given me access to people in places I never would have had otherwise. Once, while in full Teddy wardrobe, I scolded President Jimmy Carter for giving away control of the Panama Canal, something I knew Teddy had worked hard to build. Luckily, everyone laughed, and no one threw me out. Okay, let's hold right here. Look at this log on your right. You can see all the roots of this fallen tree, but what's really interesting to me are all the plants growing out of this root structure. Go ahead and walk up to it to get a better look. Although this tree may be dead, its role in the forest still continues, becoming shelter and fertilizer for the future forest. Look closely, and you can see new trees already springing up. Conservation isn't just about the wildlife. It's about understanding the cycles of nature, knowing when to intervene and when not to. By studying the elk and cougar populations of Yellowstone, Roosevelt opened a new way of thinking about man's responsibility as nature's stewards. While in office, he established five new national parks. Let's stay on the trail and keep heading the direction we were going, and I'll share one of Teddy's most famous stories. In 1902, Roosevelt was invited by the governor of Mississippi for what was guaranteed to be a successful bear hunt. Unfortunately, the hunt did not go well. In order to make good on the governor's promise, a wounded bear was captured and tied to a tree for the president to shoot. Well, Roosevelt didn't just write the book on hunting ethics, he wrote several books on it. He refused to kill the poor creature. The media had a field day with the story. 
Looking to cash in on the president's popularity, a toy maker began selling miniature stuffed bears to children. He called them Teddy's Bears. And the name Teddy Bear still sticks today. Continue walking down the trail. During his presidency, Teddy created the first federal bird reserves and established the United States Forestry Service. He saw the dangers of unchecked industrialism and did something about it. All totaled, he brought 230 million acres into federal protection. But far beyond that, he popularized the idea of conservation and changed the way people thought about animals, like the teddy bear. It's funny, when you think about all the animals he killed and mounted, the teddy bear is the one he's remembered by. Okay, up ahead you'll see a path on your left. Take it and head over the bridge. Now we see the official Theodore Roosevelt Memorial. The land for this memorial was purchased in 1932, but it took decades to raise the funds for the installation. It was created by Eric Googler, the architect of the White House's Oval Office, completed during the administration of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, a distant relative of Teddy's. When you reach the top of the bridge, you should see the magnificent bronze statue by sculptor Paul Manship, who unfortunately passed away one year before the memorial's dedication in 1967. Keep walking, stay to the left of the fountain, and head towards the closest bench. In 1908, at the Conference of Governors, Roosevelt saw an opportunity to address the executive leaders of every state in the nation on the importance of conservation. Go ahead, take a seat on the bench in front of you, direct your attention towards Teddy, and I'll perform part of that speech for you. With the rise of people from savagery to civilization, with the consequent growth in the extent and variety of the needs of the average man, there comes a steadily increasing growth of the amount demanded by this average man from the actual resources of the country. And yet, rather curiously, at the same time that there comes that increase in what the average man demands from the resources, he is apt to grow to lose the sense of his dependence upon nature. He lives in big cities. He deals in industries that do not bring him in close touch with nature. He does not realize the demands he is making upon nature. The time has come to inquire seriously what will happen when our forests are gone, when the coal, the iron, the oil, and the gas are exhausted when the soils shall have been still further impoverished and washed into the streams, polluting the rivers, denuding the fields, and obstructing navigation. These questions do not relate only to the next century or to the next generation. One distinguishing characteristic of really civilized men is foresight. We have to, as a nation, exercise foresight for this nation in the future, and if we do not exercise that foresight, dark will be the future. Teddy spoke those words in 1908, and I think they are important to hear now. Go ahead, walk up close to the statue, and get a look at it. 
I love how this statue captures the energy and movement of Roosevelt. His right hand is raised as he's about to clap it upon his left. It looks like he's about to spring down from the pedestal. Roosevelt believed the animals, trees, and natural resources of this earth were put here for man to use wisely. We are caretakers of this planet, and it is our duty to conserve and protect our natural resources and pass them on to future generations in better condition, not worse. I'm proud to honor Teddy's legacy, and I'm glad you could come on this walk with me today. This is where I leave you, but there's still so much to explore. After you grab a picture with the president, head past the statue and follow the trail behind him. There's plenty more to see. The Potomac River is just up ahead. There's a beautiful view of Georgetown and an absolutely amazing boardwalk that carries you over the swamp. As Teddy once said, life is a great adventure. Accept it in such a spirit. <laughs>